0: I am Connor McCloud of the Clan McCloud. And I am immortal. I'm for a
1: dead guy named Nash. You talk funny, Nash. Where are you from? Lots of different places. I am Juan Sanchez Villalobos Ramírez, Chief Metallurgist to King Charles V of Spain. Everybody's got their
2: problems. You're alive. Why didn't you die? Hey, it's a kind of magic.
1: Hi, I'm Candy. Of course you
0: are. Hello, and welcome to Another Time McCloud, the only podcast to our knowledge dedicated to delving into the, uh, the wonder that is, the 1986 cult classic Highlander, minute by minute. Well, scene by scene. I'm your host, Rob Wallace, and as always, I'm joined by my kinsman, Mr. Rob Daniel. And as always, it is a pleasure to be here. And uh, today, I'm very happy to say that we are joined uh, by a very special guest, Cameron Harrison of the Green Shirt Podcast. Hey
2: guys, that's me. Thank you so much for inviting me back. Well,
0: thank you for coming back. Um, yeah, I've been looking forward to doing this one ever since we uh, ever since we discussed it.
2: Oh man, every any time that like imposter syndrome starts to creep in, I just think the two Robs invite me back for these two scenes and and, and evaporates. Oh. <laughs> please <laughs> the weight of these scenes are on my shoulder you know you're gonna have a blast talking about these scenes because what a sequence <laughs> we're going to be talking about today and next week absolutely yes well you know
0: this week and next uh in a stunning two-parter if i dare call it such uh, <laughs> uh, we will be discussing the battle between ramirez and the kurgan this first episode will cover the time period from 54 minutes 20 to 56 minutes three Um, But before we dive into this episode, I've actually (laughs) got everyone's listening. Oh, God, can they just dive in already? They always do this. Well, you know, at least, you know, self-awareness and all that. (laughs) Um, uh, Last week, I went to Comic-Con, London Comic-Con, where there were, well, there were supposed to be two people from Highlander in attendance. It was supposed to be um, Celia Imri, of course, plays Kate, and um, Billy Hartman, who plays Cousin Dougal. Unfortunately, uh, Billy Hartman dropped out, which was a real shame. Oh, did they say why? No, he just—I uh, signed up to get a photo taken with him on this Sunday, uh, and by uh, Sunday morning he dropped out. Yeah, they so didn't say, "I bloody really well walk out of here," <laughs> well, yeah. Anything like that. I, <laughs> uh, yeah, I just wanted—you know—I just wanted to get some sort of engagement, you know, involving you know, Angus pieces kilt all the time.
1: <laughs> Don't talk nonsense, man! I beat my kilt the first time I went into battle. <laughs> I... Pieces all the time. <laughs> that's probably the reason why he dropped out thinking i literally cannot stand the weekend of that he's like <laughs>
0: I, I can't fucking say that again yeah
1: <laughs> did you get to meet kate then uh
0: didn't get to meet her but did go to uh a ah. talk with celia imri um which you know she's had a you know really interesting career strangely i don't think anybody i might actually know i think maybe there might have only been one question about star wars but um, I, I dived in and I actually asked the first question, which, you know, sort of, well, you've had this career and da-da-da, but Highlander, <laughs> um, you, know, you know, what was your experience of shooting it? And um, she told a really funny anecdote, which I um, I haven't heard anywhere else. You know, uh, the scene, obviously, where Connor and Angus and Dougal, where the, the McLeods are off to war and she runs alongside the horse and, you know, sort of Christopher Lambert helps sort of sweep her up onto the horse? Um, apparently that was not completely unaided because upon meeting Christopher Lambert for the first time he's apparently not a very tall man and certainly was you know at the time quite slight so she was <laughs> i think at one point she went it, it seemed more likely i was going to help him onto the horse
1: right
2: mm-hmm.
0: so um yes yeah, so that was a really nice anecdote and she said you know that she's you know likes how the film is still remembered etc etc but yeah that was um that was fun
2: was your follow-up question then will you appear on my highlander podcast please 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 i will never ask a question that has multiple
0: parts in a q a or one of those things where it's like i will ask a question but allow me to proceed it with a five minute statement. <laughs>
2: I like how the shame of asking two questions seems to trump the shame of asking someone to appear on your podcast in the middle of the QA. and a That part would be okay, but the two questions, no, sir. <laughs>
0: No no no. It's like yeah, not so much a question as a thesis.
1: Um <laughs> we'll go through the press channels to ask it to come onto the podcast.
2: Well great, that sounds like fun. Was that your first Comic-Con since the uh old pandemic? Yes, it was the, my first
0: Comic-Con since the pandemic and um usually I have a lot of restraint. I have, you know, I, think, I like think a remarkable amount of restraint in terms of not spending all my money, but that restraint seems to have uh, seems to have <laughs> uh, evaporated over the course of the pandemic. <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: <laughs> <laughs> 2 years of of geek pressure just building. In your pocket that sounds like it could mean something else i apologize <laughs>
0: <laughs> so yeah I, this bit might get cut but I, I got photos with um colin baker and sylvester mccoy and sophie Aldred. i'm a big doctor who fan so <laughs> and uh yes my attitude being oh i'm gonna try and get photos with as many of the remaining doctors as i can good idea
2: sure that's awesome yeah
0: so yeah i've had a really good time and there's, a, there's another one coming up in may i think that uh, mr daniel you and i may have to discuss because if there's any chance you're around for that there are a few people in attendance that I'm sure you would be uh,
1: intrigued to uh, intrigued to attend talks by. Oh, then we'll, we'll take it off mic and um, yeah, have a look at that because I might be down south in May.
2: Um, so next time when you ask a question, just be sure to introduce yourself as Rob of Another Time of Cloud podcast, like a reporter would.
0: Yes. That's a, that's a good show. Yeah, I'll, I'll get a lanyard made up.
2: There you go. You're the press now. <laughs> and the room went electric. <laughs> <laughs> they're here, they're here. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. If I was in the crowd, I would I would shout and throw you guys uh, my bra oh. and <laughs> right back at you. Well, but the thing is, you'd be up on stage
1: talking about the Green Shirt podcast. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, exactly.
2: Oh, is that a transition? Should I talk about it? Yes.
1: Yeah. So yeah. Mm.
2: Yes, please do. Okay. Yes, I am uh, Cameron of the Green Shirt podcast, uh, where I am going through Star Trek: The Next Generation for the very first time. Uh, despite being a good little geek, I never watched it growing up. So now I'm doing so. Uh, via podcast with my slightly more knowledgeable co-hosts we are in the middle of season five and it's uh it's ramping up the show and hopefully our podcast it's 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 a lot of fun you can catch it on all your podcatchers green shirt and newbies trek through the next generation and you can find us on twitter at green shirt 87
1: Excellent. strongly recommend that listeners do because it is it is good fun even if you haven't seen that many episodes of next generation like <clears throat> myself <laughs>
0: Well, yes, yeah, so same here. I mean, I certainly haven't seen it all, and uh, yeah, hearing you guys talk about it and um, and enjoying it and poking poking fun at the parts that need poking fun of is uh, yeah, it's
2: really charming. Oh, good. I mean, that's what we we strive for. <laughs> right, well Should we should we dive into a table break? <laughs> I, I can't wait. <laughs> I mean, that's how I always introduce, or it's how I'm going to begin introducing myself at uh, dinner parties. I'm just going to show up, growl the host's name, and then leap into the living room with my giant sword and smash their table. (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm still, I
0: mean, it's a hell of an entrance, but I'm not entirely sure why the Kurgan does that here. Because
1: he can. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's just smashed down the door, and it's like that was a mere hors d'oeuvre to what I have next but I'm going to <laughs> cleft right. your table in twain. And uh, yeah, because I'm kind of the bad guy, I've got bad guy moves.
0: Well, I'm now just imagining, though, that he doesn't actually go after Ramirez. He just starts slashing up the fixtures and fittings as Ramirez is standing <laughs> there being like, what yeah, the fuck. <laughs>
2: It's, he's actually just he's always wanted to be an interior decorator and this is how the kurgans decorate their you know their tents on the wherever they're from the steppes of russia is that right yeah you, you know what if this was the
0: new format for extreme makeovers i'd actually watch it <laughs> so,
2: yes the kurgan does middle england those curtains are an offense <laughs> have you guys seen the movie your highness with uh i haven't no please uh, see uh, that one rob uh I think I saw it when it first came out. I
0: remember I think, enjoying it more than the review suggested.
2: Oh, good, good, good. Because I, I love that movie. I think it's really underrated. But there's a moment that me and my wife always quote where uh, Justin Theroux is the evil wizard. Just uh, He like jumps from one uh, a landing in his weird tower castle to another landing, and he goes, Jumping! Jumping! <laughs> and uh, that's all I could imagine when... The Kurgan leaps into the room, just him going jumping. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's what to say if that was what he was doing, if he was just coming in to destroy the place, then I think that would be a really interesting scene because then it would be Heather that is that he does battle with when she says, "Why are you smashing up my house? <laughs> it took me ages to get that clean." <laughs> is that why? And I know I'm
0: definitely going to touch on this again later. Is that why she refuses to fucking leave? <laughs> yes.
2: <laughs> Leave or fight. I mean, there's a moment where she could have ended that. Yeah, right. Okay, yeah. Heather. Heather.
1: Yeah, yes. Yes, there is a moment, isn't there? I think it's at the end of of this episode. It's the thing that we'll end on, I think. Um, Yeah. Yeah, that's one of the things we should get into in terms of how 80s this is about what Heather does, because it's not very empowering for Mm. her. But I think to begin, we need to talk about the table break. And the fact that it seems to be that... An actual table. Yeah, and also that Clancy Brown got it wrong with his sword and he hit the sword flat and it broke the sword. But also, um, apparently the candelabra was then brought down and almost hit Sean Connery. This is all according to Russell Mulcahy on the audio commentary. And Sean Connery stormed off set because it was really dangerous and then had to be talked back and... Clancy Brown, who did this because he was so nervous. It was early on in the shoot. It was the first big stunt thing that he'd had to do. He was so nervous when he was doing it that he basically just got it wrong. And in the rehearsal, had done it. It actually chopped with a sword, but this time he just... Slammed it down flat. Anyway, he was really, really apologetic to Sean Connery. Um, but apparently for a short while, it all got slightly tricky when it looked like Sean Connery was going to walk off. Um So, but then, Rob, you said that you'd read an interview with Clancy Brown where he said, actually, that's um, an exaggeration of what happened.
0: Is that right? Yes, well, it's not a read. It's a watch. There are a number of uh, really good interviews with him on YouTube. No, it's I didn't. Sure. I
1: didn't almost
2: decapitate Sean.
0: That's not a good you. rumor, though. <laughs> it's
2: a good Let's rumor. keep it up. Let's go it ahead and say rumor. that.
0: Um, they're they're I mean, if literally if you just go on YouTube and type in Clancy Brown Highlander interview, mm. he um he talks a bit about how it seems like he actually had a bit of a hard time on the film. You know, for one thing he knew that he was being massively underpaid versus Christopher Lambert and Sean Connery, which you know, he, which he understood, obviously. You know, them being two very big stars, and then it's just Stuff like the fact that apparently he got the train up to Glasgow station and there was meant to be somebody coming to collect him and the producers hadn't bothered to send anyone. Oh, God. So he basically almost ended up having to like sleep on a park bench because he got in really late. And um,
2: What was his hair situation at that time?
0: That's a very good question. Did... Yeah, I can imagine that. Yeah, I think he got I think he almost got like moved on by the police at one point, which, you know, as like, yeah. a, it's <laughs> yeah. a massive guy with potentially <laughs> a like... threatening haircut. A threatening haircut. Sorry, that's... One of those (laughs)
2: long hairs. Um, The... But I always thought it was a wig. Did we think that's his real hair? I thought that was just some good wig work. I'm thinking when he shaved it, is that a bald cap or... I don't know. I think maybe
0: his hair in present day New York, before he shaves it, is his actual hair. Anything else is a wig or a bald cap?
2: Yeah. Likely, likely. Like a uh, previous guest, uh, Jesse, I also have wig blindness, so... <laughs> it's, it's clearly catching. Yeah. Um, apparently,
0: Sean Connery only spoke about three words to him. Apparently, um, when they first met, Connery said to him, Do you golf? And when um, Clancy Brown basically said, no, I don't, that kind of concluded their uh, their relationship on set.
2: <laughs> That's so sad, because they could have had, like, custom golf clubs made with the handles of their swords. Oh. That would be amazing. Now that would be very cool. I, though I don't, like,
0: I'm not quite sure how the spikes would work oh, from the... Uh...
2: <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, I think that would... Clancy Brown would find a way to make them work. Absolutely, and you'd need to include them.
1: I think we should actually try and license it and just make up some custom golf clubs and go into business. I was going to say, that.
2: yeah, we need to, we need to jump on this. <laughs> Jumping.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we have the recurring motif of the episode now.
0: <laughs> apparently, um, Russell Mulcahy wasn't hugely communicative with the actors on set, which you can believe. Apparently, he was more interested in the sort of technical side of things. Hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, Clancy Brand had to shape a lot of his own performance.
1: Russell didn't uh, ever tell me to stop doing anything, so um, I think I was just trying to. Trying to get him to direct me.
0: Um, Though it seems like he had a pretty good relationship with Christopher Lambert. So that's nice. Oh,
2: cool. Mm. So, because I've heard that, like, yeah, there is uh, a point where uh, Sean Connery almost uh, got injured during the scene. Is this the moment or is there another bit where he al- also almost got injured? No,
1: this is the moment. Yeah.
2: OK. I always assumed it was during, you know, the close combat sword fight, not the part where the Kurgan attacks the table.
1: Well, you think so. Yeah, because, yeah.
2: But no, it's. Um, That's how it happens on film sets. It's always the, the moments you don't expect.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. So, this is what I like about this particular sequence we're going to talk about in this episode and the next episode is that it's the same sequence, just with a different outcome. <laughs> so, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. they fight up the stairs and one person falls off. And then they fight up the stairs and the other person falls off. <laughs> and then the first person also falls off, but yeah, having one. <laughs> There's a lot of falling in this one and some jumping.
2: There it is. Jumping, <laughs> jumping. Well, let's let's get into the backstory of the scene then, because I I really want to know, Rob's. Where's Connor at? Nobody knows. It is what? never because you <laughs> know
0: you know when um the Kurgan says the Highlander. Where is he?
2: The Highlander. Where is he? It's a good question. Where the fuck is he? <laughs> I think did he leave his wallet back at the market and have to go back for it? Well, we talked about this on the previous episode, Rob, didn't we? Where we kind of came
1: up with um. Some there there are lots of theories here, and when someone's not around, your mind immediately goes to suspicious places. It's like, well, you know, is he cheating on heather? but mm. that would be so un we concluded that's a definite no i mean they they so
2: unthinkable <laughs> well, I mean. Ramirez and Heather seem pretty friendly. Maybe there's like a wife swap thing going on we don't know about.
1: <laughs> I think that I think they're actually a thruple at
0: this point. So, just, so we're basically just proposing that they are medieval swingers. <laughs> That's
1: right.
2: <laughs> you know, immortals, they're progressive like that. Yeah, they've been around for so long that you of try new stuff to keep it fresh. Um, okay, well, we don't have to dwell on it too long if you guys covered it last episode. It just occurred to me maybe he's off on some like weird spirit vision quest that Ramirez sent him on. <laughs> so he could hit on Heather. That—that's classic Ramirez. <laughs> He's
1: such a hound. Well, that's the, where's Connor? I sent him on a spirit quest. That's a very dress you're wearing. Is that from the market? He hasn't felt the
2: stag enough yet. <laughs> Do you
1: have any other?
2: Any other theories apart from a vision quest um me no no i'm I'm sticking with the he left the wallet in the market and had to go back for it i've done that
0: <laughs> yeah i know, i think i think he left his sporran at, at a swinger's party that
1: there uh <laughs> yes he left the keys to his horse in the bowl and had to go
2: back <laughs> <laughs> well that one, well, that one Jeez, didn't the horse. I'm sorry it, it, it took a while but <laughs> I, I appreciate it Yeah, so it took a while
1: for the shoot to open up on that one I can only apologize <laughs>
2: <laughs> hey any landing you can walk away from <laughs> yeah, this is, yeah, this
0: is, this is, we we at Another Time McLeod enjoyed the, uh, the base jumping of comedy. Yes, that's right. It's like, it's <laughs> jumping. Jumping. Um, but of course in this, the Kurgan, you know, they changes blows with Ramirez and then
2: immediately takes a fucking cut to the throat. Oh, so fast. I know. Ramirez almost had this thing finished in like 15 seconds.
0: You're too late. I've prepared him for you. You waste your time. Mm.
2: And I feel like he could have gone in for the the final blow right then. He had a moment. He just had to like do his little peacock flourish.
0: Yeah, which actually I think that's a really neat cut between Connery and his stunt double there, because it's stunt it's his stunt double yeah. who's twirling the blade. And then you know, and then it's almost almost seamless the cut between him and Connery. Yes. Um, I love the expression that Clancy Brown makes as he's holding his throat, kind of bugging mm. out. He looks to me a bit like, um, I, and I don't, I don't know if you um if you know this comedian um Cameron. He looks to me a bit like Rick Mayle at that point.
2: <laughs> I don't know the name, but I think oh, well, there's a lot of comedians with bug eyes, so maybe I know him by by sight. Yeah. I- I wouldn't have put that together wrong, but, um, I... but I agree. I, I I love that scene too, just because you see how panicked he is. Like this is probably mm. the closest the Kurgan's been to death since the first time he died, uh, and and he's really on his back foot for like a good you know 10-15 seconds after that, trying to regain his confidence. <laughs> Yeah, it's a good... Also, I mean, uh, Clancy Brown, I mean, just, have we talked about, have you talked about just how great his eye acting is? Yes. It's so good. I mean, not to bring in the last scene, but when he says Ramirez, like, his eyes say it all, too.
1: (laughs) Yes, it's, um, yeah, he does do, well, he's a very expressive actor. Throughout this scene, um and the dialogue is kind of... Well, there's a few good lines of dialogue, but this is all just action, isn't it? And it's... um
2: <laughs> It's mostly grunts and
1: now you dies. Yes, and in fact, the only one that I wrote down was, My cut has improved your voice. You cannot win, Ramirez. I am the strongest.
0: My cut has improved your voice.
2: Um, oh, that's good, yeah. But that was the only one. Although, do you get... it? Does. Does his voice change between the two? Not significantly. Because <laughs> it would have been nice if like, this was like explaining why the Kurgan sounds different in the present than he did in the past in the first scene we saw him in. But yeah, I, I, I don't really feel that he leaned into that too much. It,
0: I, I think that might end up playing like a bit too much of a gag if in the earlier scenes in the past he's got quite a high voice. Or quite like a... <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not saying he, 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 he sounds like that. Where
2: is he? <laughs> <laughs> Ramirez. Ramirez!
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Might be somewhat lacking in Gravitas. But I wondered if in the if in the shoot they thought they were gonna add a bit of a gurgle to his voice or something like that, because of, obviously he would be um choking on blood a little bit because it would be bleeding. And
2: then decided not to go with that. Mm-hmm.
1: Well they they because they'd had to spend all their time ADRing Chris yeah
2: that's right (laughs) yes yeah sorry sorry Clancy your ADR sessions just keep getting pushed back Chris can't get that Scottish accent
1: (laughs) yeah so we're gonna go with the live record in the end Clancy because that's fine
2: (laughs) (laughs) yeah I was wondering like if his wound must have healed up pretty quick because like those grunts and then he talks later I'm like that does I wonder and it's going to come in later next episode too I think but like they talk about how the Kurgan is the strongest and maybe like yeah, maybe he does heal faster than the others and and such.
1: I wonder if if it was one of those things where, well, there is that because um, he falls like the length or the height of their castle that they're living in. And even though he goes through a beam, which would kind of break the fall a little bit, he does slam against the ground and it's like, wow, he didn't actually break anything. So he is
2: the ultimate warrior. Also, yeah, break his back a little bit. Yeah,
1: indeed, that takes him like 60 years to heal. But um, So yeah, so he doesn't actually break anything there. So it could be one of those things. Yes, maybe he has taught himself to heal. But um, I think it's also obvious that he's impervious to pain, really. Um, mm, enjoys it. Oh, yes, indeed, that's right. Yes. Actually, that adds a, uh, that adds a really, really nice friss onto it. The fact that it's getting off on all this because, um, yeah, having, having his throat cut. It's like, I can't, I can't believe how good this feels. Mm.
2: Why don't you invite me to your swinger party? <laughs>
1: I I do like how he
0: um how how like a cornered animal he is at that point where he's had his throat cut and he's re, he's retreating up the stairs and the little kind of gesture that he makes with his sword indicating mm-hmm. that Ramirez you know that's still kind of challenging Ramirez to follow yeah. him. and then Ramirez pursues him and this is the part that reminds me of um I think I mentioned it in a, in a previous episode is very much sort of um Errol Flynn in Robin Hood mm,
2: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah you, know, you can also tell that the Kurgan has watched Revenge of the Sith because he immediately goes for the high ground <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's canon now.
1: Yeah, it is. That's right. It's over, Anakin. I have the high ground. Um, There was one thing. Oh, yeah, it's just after he falls. I like the fact that the first thing that moves is his sword hand as he kind of feels for it. And then he grabs it. It's like,
2: mm-hmm. there's someone who's used to fighting um someone who's fallen off a tower or two and had to that's right isn't this isn't this first rodeo <laughs> no yeah
0: i love the fact that they've got that shot where um ramirez and um the kurgan are in the background kind of making their way up the stairs
1: and you've got the pigeon that takes off in the foreground <laughs> mm-hmm. which actually looks a bit like a dove at first because it looks very white and it's like oh that's like quite a nice john woo touch at the time when john woo was doing that but no one in the West was actually seeing those films. I
2: was going to say, I wonder who influenced who here. I mean, probably Sean Wu, since it's an, an Asian uh, theme, the dove representing death.
1: Yeah, I think it's, um, But I think it might just be a, just a coincidence because it just adds a bit more movement to the shot, doesn't it? Yeah.
2: I guess, yeah. I, don't, I mean, they had, someone in this production said, go find me 20 doves or pigeons and let's work with some animals for the scene. Like that's, it's not a, yeah. a happenstance. I do think it's a bit,
0: the the fact that Kurgan is apparently you know the the greatest warrior, he doesn't make much use of his clear size advantage when they're up on that landing. The fact that you know Connery seems to have a have, have a greater reach than him. admittedly you know he's clutching his throat, mm. but that Connery somehow manages to get him off the ledge.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, he was using the Kurgan size against him there to throw him off balance.
0: Yeah, that's that's equally yeah.
2: The Kurgan also seems a little clumsy, as we'll also discuss next episode. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I think he's just a brute, isn't he? Although it's actually one of
1: those things that suggests early on... It's weird with the Kurgan because the first time we see him, he's doing um, deals with the Frasers, is it? Um, mm. And he seems to be someone who can yeah, manipulate and marshal people to his own ends. But then when the film needs him to be just a brute, he's more of a brute. And there's And here it really is a case of he just... Swings his sword and crashes against things and just causes destruction. And it's Ramirez who's the much more skilled swordsman. Um, Mm -hmm. And you're thinking, well, yeah, the the Kurgan didn't quite seem like that at the beginning, but now he does just seem like Frankenstein's monsters crash through the door.
2: Maybe he's just shifting tactics as he goes. Uh, You know, maybe the Frasers didn't work and he's like, all right, I'm going solo, going for the brute. Yeah. (laughs) Well, also, you know, he spent five years looking for Connor. Maybe he's just a bit overexcited. It <laughs> <laughs> could be. yeah. And, and I want to talk about that. I, I don't know how much you guys maybe have covered in the past, but like, why is the Kurgan so focused on Connor? He appears to still be hunting him after five years. I, I also don't know if you've covered how he knew Connor would become an immortal. Like, do they do they have some like sonar radar ping for people who haven't even died and come back yet? Is this just the Kurgan's kind of thing? He focuses on one immortal and takes him out one at a time. That's how he's going to win.
1: Unclear. <laughs>
2: <laughs> sure, sure. That's why. That's what we're here for, to clear this up. That's
1: right. Well, uh,
2: to your point about the how does he know that Connor's going to
1: become an immortal, I thought it was something that they could sense because when he's talking to the Fraser, he says there is a boy called Connor amongst them or something like that. Remember our agreement, Murdoch. The boy- um, and you kind of have to think, okay, right? So you know that this one is a bit different, and mm-hmm. you can just sense something coming from him.
2: Um, I wonder when it comes in, because like if they could feel it when they're babies, I could just see the Kurgan going around chopping off a bunch of baby heads. <laughs> yes, it'd be like a King Herod thing, wouldn't it? <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> yeah, it would look like my daughter's bedroom with all her doll heads just <laughs> flung about. <laughs> have you had a have you had a word with her about that? <laughs> <laughs>
1: How much does this cost?
2: Oh, I'm just going to let it be. I'm not. I'm not crossing her. Yeah, <laughs> right. yeah.
1: Yes, I'm fully aware of how much it cost, and yet I
2: did it anyway. So, uh, do you have a problem with that? <laughs> oh, i haven't got a problem at all. Just there, filing your nails, looking at me. <laughs> um, sleep well.
0: <laughs> I do like in this that we um we get a great shot of Connery's stunt double
1: when the Kurgan does the fall. huh okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a couple of really good shots in here where you can see the stunt double with his more prominent nose than connery <laughs> it's like
2: yeah yeah i mean i to go back to your earlier point and this point like i did uh appreciate just how well they did cut between stunt doubles and the actors like i noticed that yeah the swirling blade and and then just this almost seamless cut to um sean's face and and yeah I and mean, that's all good i think they used the space of just like this round vertical tower really well uh mm. the camera he's still getting a lot of great sweeping shots uh, i mean it just it all looks so good. No, indeed. It's, um,
1: and also there's a really nice thing here where the space that they're fighting in, particularly when they go up to the top, is the space where um, Ramirez is talking to Connor a few scenes ago about the Kurgan. When we first met, you felt ill, Remember? Well, that wasn't the first time you felt that sensation, was it? Mm-hmm. And they're sitting up at the top, but it seemed it's like a nice bit of foreshadowing that this is where Ramirez will meet his end, at the hands of the Kirk. Yeah. I
2: mean, I wanted to say that because it's a little bit higher on the steps where he actually meets the end. yeah but, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean I, I did still notice the connection there that I also thought that was nice. I've been um, trying to find
0: the name of Connery's stunt double in Highlander. Clancy Brown's stunt double was a guy called um, Peter Brace, who was also um, the stunt double for um, Peter Mayhew for Chewbacca in Star Wars. Oh wow! Oh, okay, he's a big guy then. And he's uh, and he was born in Southwark. Uh, which just happens to be uh, exactly where i'm recording this pod <laughs>
1: <laughs> everything about irelander is just based in east london it's like they just did not cast a large radius at all when they were casting or shooting this it's like okay who lives here that can do this
2: now the interior tower is that is that scotland or or london london um so they did move sean down even though he was only there for seven days they had a day for travel yeah which
1: is actually which is actually a really good point in terms of they had him for seven days they even though there is a lot of his stunt double in the training sequences and stuff like that they use the seven days really well because this is a really really big sequence so what we're talking about in this episode and the next episode this is a big stunt sequence yeah and yeah they must have really just worked him (laughs) constantly for the hours that they had him. It's like, right, an hour for lunch, but then we're doing it. Because <laughs> they get through a lot of stuff with him.
2: Yeah, and I mean, he still puts in a magnificent performance. Yeah. I mean, again, like Jesse said in, the, in one of his previous episodes, just like, you believe this crazy, vague uh, world-building because Sean Connery believes it when he tells Connor.
0: You know, I will definitely say this in the next episode, but it is also, I'm really sad to be saying goodbye to him in, in this movie. It's, um...
2: Sure. Especially here when you finally get to see him in action, like you've, you've heard him talk his game up to Connor, like for the past however many minutes. And, and then, yeah, you get to see him do pretty well, at least for half this fight. Yeah, he's just not very good (laughs) at finishing so to speak
1: (laughs) yeah it's all it's all start and no finish that ramirez
2: (laughs) (laughs) yes um i'm pretty sure you guys have brought up uh bob anderson right he did the uh the sword work on this movie yes yes that's right who all you know famous for lord of the rings and star wars and going back to errol flynn did he yeah he did that's right it's um do you know the film he did with errol flynn I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, the Master of Ballantrae. I certainly do not have Wikipedia open right now. I just pulled that out of my brain meat. That is why you're a great guest. Because <laughs> you do <laughs> the hard yards that we don't. <laughs> yes, it definitely worked with Oh, The Princess Bride also. That's right. He did that. Yeah. I mean, he's any movie known for its sword fights... He was part of.
1: Yeah, he was. Um, so he did stunts. He was a stunt man to begin with, and then seemed to move into sword. He was a sword master, but also like a fight choreographer and a fencing coach, and that seemed to be the niche that he moved into because he did stunts on From Russia with Love and Guns of Navarone, ah. also The Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. Mm-hmm. Um, but was the Barry Lyndon fencing coach and was The Swordmaster, obviously, on Highlander, and The Princess Bride, and Highlander the series, The Mask of Zorro, and the sequel, which, was that called The Legend of Zorro?
2: I believe so. Pirates of the Caribbean, Three Musketeers. Yeah,
1: and all the Lord of the Rings films. And he actually died relatively recently. He was born in uh, 1922, died in
2: 2012. Um, Yeah, he seemed to know his stuff. Oh, Oh, he did that fencing scene between Madonna and James Bond. Oh, did he? Oh. Yeah, die another day, right? That was yeah, that was that movie. Yeah, yeah, be the best one. Just kidding.
1: No thanks, I don't like cockfights.
2: So, yeah, I mean, and and I think I'm going to talk a little bit. I think we're going to save it for next episode um, where I would have maybe liked to have seen the, the sword play go. But for I mean, as far as just a straight sword fight goes, I, I think this is pretty good. You do get kind of uh, the difference in styles between the two men. Uh, I, I do love that uh, that blade twirl from Miras Did you guys I mean, did you look up any of the sword moves people were using? Were you able to? do a play-by-play like in Princess Bride where they name all the moves. No, that would have been a very good idea. That would have been... <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't even have known how, where to begin. All I recognised was the, uh, the, you know, the Spanish peacock block. <laughs> yeah, that's great. <laughs> You're welcome.
1: <laughs> well, and we've also got the name for the episode now, so that's great. <laughs> so good. Um, there is, to your point, um, Cameron, I think that you said earlier, in terms of Mirrors could have, have got the drop on the Kurgan after he slits his throat. There is a point when he fights towards him. mm but it's one of those things that it's a very, very quick shot. But then when you go back and watch it again, you realize all it is, is Connery hitting the sword. Because Sandy Brown's not really moving the sword, <laughs> he's just holding
2: it. And Connery's just hitting it. It's like it. how you sword fought with your friends as kids. That's right. <laughs> it's Except like, there was oh. always that one friend who was like fighting to kill. And you're like, no, no, we're just supposed to hit each other's swords. What are you doing? I That's think right. I may have been that friend. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Rob. Everything makes sense now <laughs> I did I did fencing for a bit when I was in my teens and I was all right at it but I think I was all right at it because I was I just think I scared the other person I was fencing against <laughs> the kurgan uh, uh, maneuver yes indeed yeah the uh, the kurgan's approach to fighting did
2: you just like grunt and growl? And- now you
0: die! No, but I did smash up the furniture, so... Okay, oh good, yeah. <laughs> That's just because you have incredibly bad coordination. Uh, actually, it's actually, actually because I've got incredibly bad eyesight. That's called the Connor. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yes. I use the Lambert technique. Ah, uh, Yeah, we'll just make up our own names for all these moves. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, I guess just to go back to, to poor Heather, uh, it, it is disappointing. All she does get to do is scream. I mean, I think even uh, Buttercup Lends a little bit more help in the R O U S fight in Princess Bride uh, than Heather does here, but I mean, if you're only going to be a scream queen in a scene, at least she does have a magnificent scream.
0: Yes. Yeah.
2: Like I, I forget her filmography. If she didn't like go into just so many horror films after this, then that's it's a shame. I've got the uh, scene open up on my laptop and it just happened to freeze frame on a close-up of her face screaming and i mean it looks like like a 1970s horror poster it's just an amazing amazing open mouth shriek
1: it is there's um i think we talked about it on the previous episode rob where there's a shot of heather that looks like it's from a hammer horror film
2: um Mm, that's probably the one i I think it has to be the one i have open because it is the shot just before our our minute technically begins
1: yeah but there's, there was another classic British horror film that was released through Amicus called Scream and Scream Again, and that was a, like and also like another title option for this one. But it has to be the Spanish cop block, because um, <laughs> yeah, she does. She gives really good scream, um, and from what I can remember of her filmography, she stayed pretty much in period dramas and stuff like that. Um, oh. So. Yeah, those, those pipes weren't put to good use in any horror film, <laughs> which is a real shame. Okay.
2: Hmm.
0: Yeah, sort of period dramas and police procedurals. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, lots of kind of,
1: like, um, Inspector Morse and Poirot and... Uh, yeah, but she needed to uh, be in a horror film because, yes, she does She does just scream a lot.
2: Um, she screams as well as the Kurgan grunts. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. I do love watching this. It's, I just have flashbacks of well, flashbacks. I don't know. It's just so many uh, like sound cues from the scene are used in the give me the prize song. Oh, like I just can't not hear that song in my head while I watch the scene.
1: That's right. Yes, it is. isn't it. It's um, including the sword fighting, isn't it? There just like the, yeah, the clanging of swords. That's right. Yeah. Well, I get to sample that now. So that's always good.
2: <laughs> You're welcome.
0: Now you die.
2: Yeah, including the um, sword fighting with all the, the very sci-fi sound effects when the swords clash is uh, noticeable and and fun. And I wonder if like whoever, you know, when they were told, oh, right, you've got to make the sequel that shall not be named. Like, what are you going to do with this? Uh, you know, you guys have talked about all the great kind of prequels they could have done, the spin offs. Mm-hmm. Nope. They were watching the scene, heard those like laser sound effects. And we're like sci-fi future. That's where we're going. Yeah. <laughs> and you know what? Everyone is always always saying,
1: yeah. It's a, it's really sad when Ramirez because it's the film at the end of this scene. So what the fans really want is for us to bring him back again. <laughs> we'll just bring him back to life.
2: <laughs> this is going to be the best sequel ever. <laughs> yes. Isn't it great when Connor wins the prize at the end and becomes mortal? What the fans want is to see him as an 80-year-old man. That's yeah. right. It's talking a bit how you
1: imagine that Kurgan would talk after he's had his throat cut because the, <laughs> in the sequel that cannot be named, his old voice at the beginning is particularly... <laughs> there are some people in this world who know when to stop. And
2: some people who don't which kind are you yeah, it's been so long i've 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 been tempted to go back and watch it I, I I hate to say, but listening to your podcast has made me be like, I need to go watch that again just to see how bad it is. Mm, it's not good, yeah, it's dreadful um <laughs> but
1: I think we will do. An episode on it at some point because you have to cover it off because it is oh sure you're yeah, widely known as the worst sequel of all time and actually the last time i watched it i made the mistake of watching the director's cut because what i can remember about it was that it's rubbish but it's short mm. and suddenly mm. it was just under two hours and it's like oh no what's what's this and it was the it was the director's cut which apparently tried to fix the issues but it couldn't and it's so it's just rubbish and long now <laughs>
2: <laughs> well we don't need to dwell on it too long <laughs> just uh no it's just all those laser sound effects when the swords were clashing. I do
0: have, I do have uh, one question about, uh, obviously, when the Kurgan falls here, it looks like he's almost like done a rotation in the air, but still manages to land on
2: his face. Yeah, you see him flip to his back, both forwards and sideways, in each, like he's in a different position in each cut.
0: Yeah. It's, it's not that long a drop, though, you know, there is obviously, you know, imagining the uh, the record scratch and all of a sudden, you know, freeze frame. Kurgan looks into camera and goes, we well, are probably wondering how I got here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
2: <laughs> what i was saying because yeah and like each shot it looks like he's going to land a different way on the ground and so maybe this is like the multiverse splintering and like depending how he fell this whole scene could have played out differently and one heather did run up and grab the sword and cut his head off in the time that she could have and saved everybody yeah but that wouldn't have made us good a movie but that's the thing isn't it <laughs>
1: Just talking about how kind of ultimately useless heather is in this scene there is a point when he is out for the count when it's on the floor yes and uh, to your point it's like heather little help <laughs> <Right>.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you could at least hit him on the head a few times she won't help and she won't leave <laughs> <Like>. <laughs> i
2: was also thinking like ramirez could have just thrown himself from the top and like aimed for the head Yeah, well just got one of There's gonna be a loose stone up there, he could have pelted (laughs) it. Like, he's not gonna die. Just do it. Ramirez, what have you got to lose? (laughs) It would be that would be a bold finishing move. Just superhero lands, stance when he hits.
0: I'm now imagining you Cameron,
2: you standing at the bottom yelling up at Ramirez, do a flip! <laughs> Just do it. You could do it. Come on. <laughs> over a bit. Make sure to yell jumping when yes, you do. Jumping.
1: Right. Okay. Over a bit. Over a bit. I think you. No. No. Oh, look at that. You're a foot away from him when when you landed. And you did smash your legs and break your bag <laughs> back. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, um, I got I got such good feedback from you guys last time when I did research on Heather's name. I have pulled up all of uh, Juan Sanchez Villalobos Lobos Ramirez's names meanings. Have you guys covered those in any episodes yet? We have not. Ah, shall we again? This is great. This is why you're on <laughs> because of this wonderful research. So let's remember that Juan Sanchez Villa Lobos Ramirez did choose his own name because he was born Egyptian. So this uh, peacocky Spanish uh, name is of his own choosing. Juan means God is gracious. Sanchez is sanctified or son of sanctified, but yes. Uh. Uh, Villa Lobos, as you might be able to guess, is city of wolves. and Ramirez is wise protector. A.K.A. Mentor. Ooh. Uh, so not only do are these some of the most just Spanish sounding names you could apply to someone, a character that who you want to be Spanish. Uh, yeah, they do all kind of seem to fit his his persona.
0: Well, now do you know. Now you've inspired me, and uh, I may well end up not doing this, depending on how time intensive it is. <laughs> I, I now want to go through and find the equivalent names in Egyptian and see if we can mm. reverse. Actually, I do. Actually, I think. I think in canon, he was. I think in canon, his name was Takne in ancient Egypt.
2: Yeah, I did. I did read that. I don't think it's ever mentioned in the movie, though. Right? No, no. It's. Uh... I think maybe that was a cut scene or something. Yes. So I did not look that up. I tried to, and I couldn't find any clear. Uh, all that came up when I looked up that name was Highlander stuff.
1: Yeah, I think. Tag name might be that sounds like something that might've been in a comic, like a Highlander comic or something.
2: Uh yes,
0: yeah. It was in one of the in one of the Highlander origin comics, I think. Right. Gotcha.
2: I did want to kind of bring up his Egyptian origin because I could be way off here, because obviously, I mean there a lot's been made of uh Sean Connery uh maybe not being a hundred percent Egyptian, um, or looking <laughs> or, or the character looking Egyptian at all. And so, you know, I'm straining my historical knowledge at this point, but from my uh, slight knowledge of, like, Antony and Cleopatra, the Greeks and the Egyptians did intermarry a lot and, and have children, so could he not be, like, the son of a Greek and an Egyptian, and he just wound up looking more Greek? Yeah, I mean, it's as good a theory as any. I'm, I'm just, I'm going to try to make it make sense in whatever way I can. I don't know if the timelines work out to his age, but...
1: My knowledge of that history is not good but were there any Spanish traders that were going to Egypt at that time and probably not at that point because that was a few thousand
0: years BC so right, okay yeah
2: that would have been like the iberian the iberians at that time yeah which i don't know anything about other than the name because that's the name of the peninsula yeah. <laughs> a bunch of very sketchy historical knowledge going into this but yeah well and he just he just moved to spain and kind of uh adopted the name and and the culture right is what i it's yeah yeah i got the impression of because he says he's not spanish he's egyptian
0: yeah, you, you've got to wonder how long he's been in Spain for, because after a certain amount of time it's like, no, you probably you probably qualify
2: now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean you you definitely present as, yeah, totally as citizenship. <laughs> more so than Egyptian. Or Japanese. Yes, yeah, the Japanese. Although, of course, if you see
1: Sean Curry in You Only Live Twice, there is quite an unfortunate scene where he does actually try to pass for Japanese at
2: one point. <laughs> he does. And the most weird Yeah, they go through an entire like surgical process to give him A wig and a spray tan. And unfortunately... It's the weirdest scene of cinema history. And um, yeah, prosthetics around
1: the eyes a little bit as well. And it's like, yeah, there's no way you're passing for Japanese, I'm afraid.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. Not to mention you're about like two feet too tall. That's right. And you have a massive thatch of hair on your chest and... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so yeah i mean compared to uh, sean connery's other uh ethnic uh blending roles eh, that's that's you know we, we can make some sense of this one i think yeah this one seems to be less of a misstep than <laughs> than previous attempts so i'm going back i'm watching the original uh scene where kurgan and uh, connor had their first initial meeting is the kurgan wearing the same clothes five years earlier i think so yeah <laughs> He doesn't have the helmet. He's lost the helmet and maybe like the gauntlets. But that is the same chest plate and seemingly uh, like, you know, bear robe or whatever he has on. It does look like it looks like a breastplate that's an actual breast.
0: It looks like it's made of bone, which you've got to assume is deeply impractical both to construct and to wear. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. It's like if it is made of bone, then... You know, kudos to you for managing to get it into that, you know, into a wearable state. But also, that
2: would be incredibly brittle. True. True. Mm, Yes.
0: And quite a bugger to,
1: to clean as well. I don't think he cleans that.
2: Although, as an immortal, like you know, protecting his torso is not of the uh, utmost priority.
1: Yeah, you think he'd have like a bone thing around his neck or something, <laughs> so that's uh, protecting the neck.
2: You think he would like paint a target on his chest to be like, hit me here. Yes. Not, not the neck. Don't aim for that. Hit, hit, aim down here.
1: Yeah. Why
0: do none of the immortals wear like a neck guard? <laughs> right. That's the
2: the only armor you need. <laughs> Is the one you don't wear. It's it's literally in that scene at the beginning. He has a helmet. Every other part of his body is protected except neck. Is it just maybe considered
0: poor form? It's like, what if I what if I wear a neck (laughs) guard? No, we don't do that. We've all
1: agreed we don't do that. (laughs)
2: Tradition states nobody will wear a neck guard, (laughs) not even the Kurgan will break that (laughs) rule.
1: I always wonder where. I thought he might have been off for five years or so on like a mission across Europe trying to get rid of immortals and sloughed off some of the more impractical armor because he does look he looks less resplendent than the first time you see him because he does look great with that helmet and all of the accoutrement that he's got but and he seems to have like Mm -hmm. done a bit of a Marie Kondo on this thing now and he's just much more uh (laughs) he just comes in saying this is all I need but I wondered if he was off on just other missions and it's like well actually while I'm in the area I might as well go back to that terrible rainy island and see if that guy's still knocking about. <laughs> yeah. Is that why he's smashing everything up?
0: This does not inspire joy! <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> that's
2: exactly it. I think I think we got it. That's it. Mystery solved. <laughs> In fact, I mean, Ramirez did not push him off the tower. He jumped so he could take out that beam. He says that beam was just not uh, visually pleasing to me. <laughs> yes,
1: that's right. It's nice when everything just Slots together and it's like there we go. That is the only
2: explanation <laughs> yeah. for this. Marie Kondo's secretly an immortal.
0: That that yeah. I would say, i'd about to say that explains a lot, but I don't know if it necessarily does. <laughs> no,
2: no. it Raises more questions than answers. Yes, exactly. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Which actually is you know one of the uh, one of the uh, taglines
1: for this pod. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, apart from when we get the great guests on, who kind of say, actually, I've done all the research for you lads. You don't have to worry about you know the kind of. Th- stuff that you should not be doing yourself so like, oh, that's great we'll just listen to you <laughs>
2: so thank you for that hey i've only got to worry about a couple minutes you've got the whole film so you've, <laughs> bless you've got you carry that weight so is there anything else to say about this particular scene before we um wrap up yeah i think i think i covered it i think everything else will uh come into play for the second half of the battle yes oh and yes i think it is for me too well <laughs> Cameron, thank you very much for,
0: for joining us for this episode. And, you know, very, very happy to say that yeah, I think you're staying on for the next one.
2: I suppose you've convinced me to hang around. I've got to see this through to the end. Who's going to win? I don't know. I've got to find out.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a real, it's a real
2: yeah. um, <laughs> tower hanger,
0: tower hanger. Um, and thank you, Mr. Daniel. Oh, Thank you. And um, Cameron, if our listeners would like to find you online as, as they may well do, where can they do so?
2: Yeah, if you want uh, to hear me bring this level of uh, of research and uh, Your Highness references to Star Trek, you can find me at GreenShirt87 on Twitter, uh, Greenshirt Podcast on Facebook, Instagram. You can find us on all the podcatchers. We're also starting up another Star Trek podcast, actually, for Strange New Worlds. If you're excited for the continuing adventures of Pike, we are uh, doing Open Pike Night is the name <laughs> of that one. And we really <laughs> want to hear from you. If you're planning to watch, uh, send us uh, some Audio clips, uh, 90 seconds or less of what you're expecting, what you hope to see, what you're worried to see, you can send those to openpike at gmail.com. And once the show starts up, we'll be doing each episode. Uh, you can send again 90 second audio clip of what you thought of each episode to openpike at gmail.com and we'll play them and uh, let you lead the discussion. Very cool. Um- And Mr. Daniel, how about you?
1: Uh, If you want to follow me on Twitter, then I'm at Rob underscore A underscore Daniel. And if you want to read my writing, that is at filmstories.co.uk, lovehorror.co.uk, electric-shadows.com. We also have a sister podcast called The Movie Robcast. Which you can listen to wherever you're listening to this, and if you want to follow that on Twitter, it is at Movie Robcast. Great, and well, yeah. If you, if you want to follow me online, you can do it so on Twitter
0: at Robert M Wallace. Uh, you can follow this podcast. At McCloud Time. And if you want to drop us an email, if you, you know, if you'd like to put yourself forward as a guest or you've got a Highlander anecdote you'd like to share or just general feedback, um, you can contact us at who wants to pod forever at gmail.com. Um, well, if you've enjoyed listening to the episode today, please, if you know, if you can take a moment to rate and review us, it really does help and it's always lovely to get the feedback. And uh, thank you very much for listening. And all that's left to say is. To
2: Jumping.